y'all, let me just tell you, it's good to see you. I, don't, I was gone on vacation for nine days, and I just missed you guys. So it's fun to be back here. I think uh, I'm probably crying for a lot of reasons, but that's, that's one of them, uh, is just being glad to, to be with you guys this morning. And this morning, we are finishing uh, our, the, the sermon series that we've been in all summer. So maybe you've been around, maybe not. Uh, but we've been talking about prayer. And, and when we talk about prayer, what we've acknowledged is that all of us as people have this desire to connect with the transcendent. Right? All of us as people have this desire to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And that gets expressed in all kinds of ways, even in ways that may not seem very religious. That's why we keep building all of these giant stadiums in Nashville. It's because people want to be a part of something bigger than them, and we've got to get all the seats together so they can experience that. It's why Taylor Swift is making boatloads of money on this tour, Right? Because people want to be together to experience something that feels bigger than them, that lifts them out of their moment and helps us see that, that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's what prayer at its root is all about. And we talked about this at the beginning of our series, that the disciples, Jesus' followers, saw something in him that they wanted. That when he was praying, they saw something in the way that he prayed, in the way that he connected with God that made them say, I want that too. And so they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that what Jesus gave them, what he gave to us in response to that question is so practical. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. This thing that some of us know, some of us mumble and kind of get through the words of something, this thing that can become so rote. And so what we spent the summer doing was unpacking that prayer, kind of line by line. And using each of those prayers as, as a doorway to step deeper into the heart of God and his desire for us. That's what we've been doing this summer. And we've, we've finished the Lord's Prayer. Randy finished it out for you guys last week with the doxology. Uh, to, yours be the, to you be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this week, uh, our last our last week in this sermon series, we're going to do the, the parable of the persistent widow. So I'm going to invite Brandon up, not right now, but in a minute, uh, to, read through that, to read through that for us. But I'm going to tell you up front what I hope that God does through, uh, through his word this morning. That what I hope God does is that he does a work in you, that he continues to do this work in you, that you would always pray and not lose heart. That you would always pray and not lose heart. That's actually, spoiler alert, the first uh, verse in our passage. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. But that's Jesus' desire for his people. That's what we hope that God stirs up in us this morning. Because this whole summer has been about what we're doing here as a people is so much more than us gathering interesting tidbits about a prayer. Because that can be kind of the way that we consume church is to come and like maybe hear some funny anecdotes, maybe not, Right? And we leave and we talk about, oh, well, you know, how was the service? Well, the music, I really liked it this week. Oh, I thought it was kind of too loud. And, and that's kind of the way that we approach what's going on here. But something bigger than that is happening. What we believe is that God is actually meeting us and changing us. And so the hope this morning is that we would, so often what is true about us in our prayer lives is true about me and my prayer life, is we are like ankle deep in the water of the ocean of God. And that prayer is the invitation to, to step further out into that to be caught up in the riptide of who God is and pulled out into the ocean of delighting in who God is. And prayer is the way that we do that. 
I don't know if you guys, do you guys have any of those friends who when they get into hobbies have to buy all of the gear for the hobby first? Do you know those people? They're like, oh, we're going on a camping trip. They're like, great. And they show up and not only do they have like the boots, but they also have the new tent from REI and they have the little stove that makes the French press, like all of the things. Yeah, that is kind of what we've been doing with prayer this summer. We've been getting so, so much about how to pray, what that looks like, all of these doorways to prayer. And what we're saying is, yeah, let's go use it. Let's, let's as individuals, but also as a people, become a praying people. Now, I don't know. Maybe as you hear that, you think, oh, geez. That sounds a lot like legalism, right? That's a lot of doing. It's a lot of discipline. I left a church like that. I thought that this church wasn't about that kind of stuff. Let me just tell you, okay? The, the point this morning is not to load up burdens on your back that are too heavy to carry. This is not legalism. Legalism is the idea that you're saved by what you do. That's not this at all. No, this is like saying, let's take all of that camping gear, let's go use it. Like, rather than shaming each other, of like, oh man, can you believe Joey over there who bought all that stuff and leaves it in the closet and like, then we make fun of Joey for doing it in hopes that that's gonna get him to use it. It doesn't work, right? I've got a road bike and the gear to ride it and I haven't ridden it in a while. It's true. Uh, what's going to be most inviting is someone saying, hey, that's an exciting bike. I want you to come out and use it with me. That is the sermon this morning. Are you with me? Thank you. <laughs> that we would pray and that we would not lose heart. That's the come with me because it's so easy in the world that we live in to lose heart, isn't it? And Jesus knows that. He knows that about us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how easily we're discouraged. He knows how quickly our doubts become these massive things that, that push us away from him rather than drawing us toward him in mystery. He knows all of those things. And so he says, let me talk to you about the fact uh, that, you, that you lose heart so easily. Because when we talk about losing heart, we often think about that as something that happens to us. Like another way to think about losing heart is becoming tired. And being tired is this thing that often happens to us, right? Like there are a lot of people here who have infants. And if you were to tell a parent of an infant, hey, you know what? Just don't be tired. Just decide to not be tired. It's like, that's not going to help. I'm still tired, right? Okay, that's not what this is. But this isn't Jesus saying, hey, just like, just, just suck it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and don't be tired. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But, but what is true is that in the midst of our tiredness, we make choices that make us less tired or more tired. We make choices that either help us to re-engage and, and, and find strength or we make choices that push us away from that. And so the invitation this morning is would you come and learn to be encouraged? How do we take hold of that, of, of what God has given us so that we don't lose heart? What's our role in this process? That's what Jesus is inviting us to this morning, and he's inviting us to it through a parable, right? Because Jesus could, Brandon, you can go ahead and come up now. I'm going to, like, be introducing this for a second longer, but, you know, uh, that Jesus could have just said, hey, always pray and don't lose heart, the end. But he doesn't do that. He tells us a parable to get the point across. He tells us uh, a story. And so Brandon's going to come, come up here, and he's going to read this story for us. It's out of Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop you about halfway through. Okay, I just want you to know. Gotcha. Okay. 
So it's going to be up here on the screen. You can follow along. You can open your Bibles. It'll be in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a wit. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay, stop there. Does that surprise you at all, this parable? Is there anything in it that you find shocking? What do you find surprising or shocking? This is a chance for participation. Anybody brave enough to say? No mercy. No. <laughs> that is very surprising. Yes, yes. Anything else about this parable that catches you off guard or surprises you, shocks you? There's no compassion. Is God being compared to an unjust judge? That's what, we're supposed, that's what we're supposed to ask. Like, what is going on here? Okay, keep going. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. Thanks, Brandon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this parable, this parable that catches us off guard, Lord, that you have given us to get our attention. We pray that you would get our attention this morning, Lord, that you would uh, call us deeper into yourself, into a deeper experience of you through prayer. And Lord, we just confess this morning, I confess, God, my heart is so weak, I so easily, God, lose heart. We pray that you would be strengthening us, teaching us how to participate in you strengthening us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So let's just talk for a few minutes about the parable itself. And as we unpack this parable, uh, what we're going to see is this call that Jesus has given us uh, to, to always be praying, to not lose heart, and that we would be a people who would not lose heart because we have a God who has come and found our hearts. So that's where we're going this morning, that we would be a people who always pray, who don't lose heart, uh, and who would not lose heart because we know that we have a God who has come and has found us and found our hearts. So let's talk about this, this widow for a moment what it meant to be a widow kind of in this society. Okay, to be a widow was to be uh, powerless in many ways. Like this was a, 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 a patriarchal war, world, and to, to have been married but then lost your husband, and especially if you didn't have kids, uh, was to be a, essentially powerless in society. And that's why all throughout the Old and the New Testaments, God has so much concern for widows. It's why he's always instructing his people to care for widows. It's why he always makes a measure of their fidelity to him, their love for him, how they care for widows and orphans, the people who are poor and who are oppressed and easily taken advantage of in society. And there's this widow who is being taken advantage of. This woman who uh, 
who is not being taken care of, who is crying out for justice, which means she's being oppressed, which means injustice is being done to her. It's being perpetrated against her. And when, when we hear that, I think we most easily think about justice as like, oh, there's been a crime that's committed that needs to be punished. But you've got to think about it in a different way, that, that her cry for justice is a cry for her to be provided for in the way that she should be provided for. What's probably happening here is that there have been instructions given to someone as to how to take care of this woman through her husband's estate, and those are not being carried out. She's being ignored in some way. She's being deprived in some way. But there's an injustice being perpetrated against her, but she lacks the ability or, or the tools in society to deal uh, with that injustice. So that's the widow. The other character in our story is this unjust judge. A judge who neither fears God. Let's see, let's read it right here. Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Someone who has kind of disregarded the two most basic commands of what it means to be a part of God's family. I don't care about God. I have no respect for him and I have no respect, no care, no love for God's people. This is a man with a very hard heart whose power and position and privilege has distanced him from people and has made his heart hard toward them. It's like a classic Ebenezer Scrooge. There's just nothing you can appeal to in this man to get him to move towards you. There's no compassion in him. He has a heart that's dead. And in this situation, uh, what the widow does is she consistently is coming to this judge day after day after day after day. Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And he ignores her, pushes her away. He, he, he slams the door in her face. When she knocks on the door, he tells his servant to say, I'm sorry, I'm not at home. He says in verse five, uh, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so sh- that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The, like the visual picture that's kind of embedded in this language is that she is blackening his eye. Like the, the words here, when you kind of dig into their original meaning, there's this picture of like her punching him over and over and over and over again. And he's like, I'm getting so beat up and bruised by this. Like just make it stop. She's incredibly persistent. Nevertheless, she persisted, right? That, that, that's, that's, what's, that's what's happening here. But we got to acknowledge the way, that, the way that she is persisting and the way that we think about persisting are very different. And what we learn from her and her persistence actually cuts off the root of our thoughts about what it means to persist. Like I think about that phrase, nevertheless, she persisted, right? It kind of like uh, exploded into public consciousness around these movies about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Supreme Court justice, the second woman to ever sit on the U.S. Supreme Court. And these movies, they unpack the story of her life and how this woman overcame incredible odds to reach the highest court in the land. It's the story of her personal struggle, of her overcoming uh, the, the, the oppression in her life. And that is a quintessentially American story. We love those stories, the pull yourself up by your bootstrap stories, the show us your effort and how through your effort you were able to overcome the obstacles in your life stories. That's our way of thinking about persistence. 
So when we read, hey, be persistent, what we think is great, I just need to double down on my efforts to be persistent to get what I want from God. What can I do? What can I show? What can I earn to get what I want? Be persistent. God helps those who help themselves, who help themselves right? Which, by the way, is not in the Bible, just for the record. What we learn from this widow is a very different kind of persistence. What she persistently does, what she persists in doing is in bringing her helplessness to this unrighteous judge. That all she has is her neediness to bring and she brings it over and over and over and over again, day after day after day after day. What a courageous thing to do. Can you imagine, just imagine with me for a moment, the pain and the vulnerability that she is engaging in every single day. To show up at a place where she, ex- where, where she has every reason to expect to not receive what she's asking for. That her heart would remain open enough, would remain soft enough to continue to ask over and over and over again. To beg, even to demand this, this thing, this justice that she knows she is unlikely to get. Have you ever been in that place with God? Where you're asking and asking and asking and it, and it hurts because you're asking so much and you think it would just be easier if I stopped caring. It would just be easier if my life shrunk down. It would just be easier if I stopped wanting. And yet this widow, she persists. She persists in, in, in coming each day, beating down, beating down this judge with her continual asking. gave this parable that we might always pray and not lose heart. And we can hear that always pray and think, do I need to be like praying all the time, like every moment of every day, which would be basically impossible? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But the idea is that we are very consistently bringing our hearts, our needs, our wants, our desires, and laying them before God. I know that can sound, again, that can sound like a lot, almost like a burden. But, But in this context, you know, Uh, People were taught, hey, pray three times a day. But don't pray more than that. Because we don't want you to, like you don't want to burden God with your requests. So just do it three times. And Jesus is blowing the doors off that. Think Think of the revelation, the gift that that is to the people who are in front of him. He's telling them, you don't have to stop it three times. You don't have to count how many times you have asked for something in order to kind of... uh, maintain God's emotional homeostasis, you are not responsible for God's emotions. Pray as much as you want. Beat him down with your prayers. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. Jesus is saying there is no limit to the amount of times you can bring your heart to your heavenly father. Bring it on. You can always pray, always be praying, always be bringing your heart to your Father because the God that we worship, the God that we pray to is not an unjust judge. That's the point that this parable is making. If an unjust judge, if someone who doesn't fear God, someone who has no ounce of compassion in him, if someone like that would give justice to this widow, how much more will our God give justice to us?
And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? This word elect, this idea of being chosen is saying God has, God has brought a people to himself. God has made a family. God has adopted men and women. He's made you his children, his sons and his daughters. Our Father who art in heaven is how we're taught to pray. That no, God is not an unjust judge. God is not ultimately some uh, some some principal sitting in heaven hoping that we follow the rules. No, this is our Father. And because He is our Father, what He assumes is that we are crying out to Him day and night, like kids do, day and night. And if you don't have kids, that's okay, because I will tell you, once you were a kid, and you know what you did? You cried out day and night. That there were times where in the middle of the night, you're screaming, Dad! Maybe not every time, because sometimes dads sleep through things more than moms do. But when you're, when you're screaming, what did your dad do? What did your parents do? They came out, they, they found you. What do you need? What is it? That's our, that's our God. That's our Father. That's the Father to whom we are crying out day and night. So always pray. Always bring your heart to Him. There's encouragement there for us in the character of God. And yet, if you've been around church for long enough, there's also probably some layers of guilt there, right? Of all of the ways and all of the times you have not brought your request to God. Okay, okay, you're right here. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to really commit this time. I'm, this time, I am really going to be good about bringing my request to God, right? How many times have you done that this summer in our series about prayer? Like maybe you were going to pray through the Psalms this summer and you like did it for a while and then you stopped and then you saw the Instagram video so you started doing it again and then you stopped and you're like, is this even worth continuing to do? Have any of you ever been there in your Christian life? Can I get some hands or some? Okay, yes. Of course. Of course, of course, of course. Jesus knows that about us. This is not about us just finally, like this time we're all finally going to get it. Guys, that's not going to happen. That's okay. Don't lose heart. And the reason that we don't lose heart is that even in our failures to be persistent, we have a Savior who persisted for us. That our hope is not in our ability to persist. It's nevertheless Christ persisted. That's our hope. Here's what Hebrews 12 says. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Christ. Consider Christ who persisted. That in the midst of so much persecution, in the midst of so much rejection, in the midst of so much pain, who kept his heart open before God the Father, who continually brought his request to God. And you know what his request was? There were a lot of them, I'm sure. But the ultimate request? It was you. It was you. That you were the reason he endured. Because of his great love for you. Because your Jesus came to suffer because of his desire to find you. Because he's a good shepherd is what John 10 says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
For I have other sheep that are not of this pen. That's us. I must bring them also. I must find them also. They too will hear my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. He's come. And he's come to find you. He persisted because of his desire to find you. Like yesterday, I was at Six Flags, which is a thing adult humans can do on their own, just for the record. Uh, And while we were there, we found uh, a wallet. The wallet had like $50 in it, which is like a lot of money, but also not enough money that you would like continue to spend hours in the park in the midst of this like beating down heat to find the wallet, right? But let's just imagine for a minute that there was some more cash in the wallet. Like, let's imagine that you had uh, all of your money in cash and you had a tenth of that money in the wallet because Jesus tells a parable that's kind of like that. And you put all the cash, I mean, that would, I don't know, for some of us, that'd be a lot of, some of us, maybe not so much, but you've stuffed all of that in a wallet in some way, okay? And that wallet you have lost in Six Flags. Are you going to look for that wallet? Okay, you're going to look for that wallet because it means it matters. Jesus tells all kinds of parables like this in Luke 15. He says, there's a woman who had 10 gold coins and she lost one of the coins and she turned her house upside down until she found that coin and when she found that coin, she threw a party. There's a shepherd. He had these sheep, but one of the sheep, he had, he had 100 sheep, one of the sheep went missing. You know what he did? He left those 99 sheep to go find the sheep that was lost. That's our Jesus. He says, there's a father who had two sons, and one of those sons ran really far away, and one of those sons was lost even though he was in the house. And when that son who was far away came back, God threw a party for him, and he came out, and he begged that older son who was just as lost, he begged him to come inside. That is our Jesus. Our Jesus who seeks out what is lost. And, and to be a part of his family is to say, we are a people who have been found. That he has come and he has found us. He has persisted in finding us. And that even now, even when we run away, even when our hearts are far away from him, even when our hearts are small and shriveled and there are parts of them that feel dead, even in those places, we are found by God. Even when you and I have a hard time grasping that we are found, it doesn't matter. We're still found. That's what it means to be a part of his family. Oh, so don't lose heart. You have been found. You are not lost. Your Jesus loves you. He has come for you. He's holding you. He is your good shepherd. So don't lose heart. So what do we do with that? How do we participate in this not losing heart? You're doing it. You're here. This is one of the places that we do that together. Because I will tell you, what you will hear here every Sunday is this same message. I don't know if it ever gets boring to you. I'm not sorry if it does, because we're still going to preach it every Sunday. Because what we believe is the pages of this book, of the, of the scriptures, that every page in the scriptures cries out about, uh, about our Jesus who has left heaven to come and find us. So we're talking about it every week. We are singing it every week. You're experiencing it here in your relationships every week. 
This is, a, this is the, one of the ways that we participate in that, and we're doing it in a really specific way this morning when we come to the Lord's table. Because what we believe when we come here and we, by faith, uh, eat this torn-up bread and we drink this juice is that Jesus is meeting us. He's comforting us in a very specific and physical way. But he's reminding us, I've come to you. I've found you. Taste it. See it. Experience it. This is a place that we're nourished by that reality. And that when we come to this table, like the widow, what we bring is only our need. That if you're here this morning, you think, I don't know if I can come to the table, man. I haven't done enough good things. Come, because it's not about that. All I've got is my doubts to bring. Bring them. All I've got is my desperate need for God to forgive me. Bring them. That's what this table is for. It's for needy people, people like me, people like you. Come and be met by Jesus in the place of your need. Come and be reminded that you have been found. But when you come, bring your whole heart. Because if there are parts of your heart that you were saying to Jesus, you can't have that part of my heart right now, he's saying, don't come. Don't come yet. Because this table is for us bringing our whole hearts to him to admit how desperately we need him. And if you're still saying, I don't actually need Jesus, then this table is not for you right now. You're still welcome to come. I'm gonna invite you to come and cross your arms. Ask for someone to pray for you. But don't take the elements yet. It's for those of us who are willing to come and say, Lord, I need you more desperately than I know. And the other way I'm gonna invite you to participate in that this morning is with these tags that are on your chair. Uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is to think about what, what prayer do you want to persist in? Like, what is one of the desires that is sitting on your heart that you are desperate to have God answer? And would you write that down? And would you blacken God's eyes, metaphorically speaking, right, in the, in the spirit of the parable, with how much you are bringing that request to him? Bring it. And would you, uh, on the second prayer tag, make a copy of it? And, like, don't water it down. Don't, like, make it the polite version. Like, put the desperate version on both. And would you leave one of those tags on our take a prayer, leave a prayer board in the back? Like, leave, leave it. And then let someone else here, when they go drop their tag off, take your tag. This prayer that we've been praying this summer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a collective prayer that we think of prayer as this thing that we do individually, and that is part of prayer, but prayer is also this collective thing that we want to become a people of prayer. So would you let these people enter into your story with you and pray with you? And you can do that. Uh, we're going to, in just a moment, uh, the band's going to play several songs. And the point is to create space for you to be interacting with God, for you to be bringing your heart to him, for you to be reminding yourself, to be reminded by him that he has come and he has found you and your heart, that you are not lost. And as a part of that, we're going to come to this table together. So take your time. We've got time. When you're ready, you can come up. Uh, we can fit like four people to the kneelers, so squeeze in. Uh, you can take time up here when you 
if, if you want to receive prayer from someone who's serving, just cross your arms and they'll pray for you. And when you're ready to receive the elements, uh, you can put out your hands and they'll serve you. They'll serve you. And then as a part of this time, would also invite you uh, to fill out that prayer card and keep one for you and put one in the back, grab, uh, grab one of the other ones. So our Lord Jesus, uh, is, that, is that clear? Do those instructions make sense? Are we all good there? Okay. Uh, so let me just take us now very specifically to the Lord's table. And that our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because he is coming. And so our eating and our drinking is, is in recognition of the promise that he is with us, that he has found us, and that there is a day where he will come back and we'll be with him forever, face to face in a new heavens and a new earth. That all of the desires of our hearts will be deeply satisfied in him. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we thank you that you are not an unjust judge, but that you are a good father who loves us. Lord, that you and your persistent son are not at odds, but that your agenda was the same, that you would come and claim us for yourself. And Jesus, pray that as we come to the table this morning, Lord, as we engage with our own hearts, uh, the desires of our hearts, and leave those prayers on the board in the back, God, we pray that you would be meeting us, that you would be ministering to us, that you'd be reminding us that we're found. We uh, praise the, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.